All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, and we get to start a new chapter and really a, a new section in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been studying it for over two years now, and the whole point of us studying Matthew, I want you to get this, is that we, we were singing that song just a minute ago, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, and what I want for our church, what I want for my life, what I want for my family, is that we are constantly keeping Christ and, and the story of his life, death, burial, and resurrection all right in front of the people. We want to preach Christ and him crucified, so that's why we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. We want to see Christ every week. And uh, today we get to start again the new section in Matthew. This will uh, be the last section as we go into the, the final week in the life of Christ. As today he steps foot into Jerusalem as he's going to go to be crucified. This is the, the greatest week in the history of the world. And we're going to take our time going through it. It, it. This is the last week. There's eight chapters here, seven chapters that we're going to study. And it may take us over a year to get through his final week of his life. Because I want us to see it all. The best week ever, we get to watch it. We get to follow along, see what he does, see what he says. And we get to start with, here today, a story that everybody's familiar with. It's called the, the triumphant entry of Christ. It's, it's Palm Sunday as Jesus makes his final entry into uh, into Jerusalem with his disciples, and, and there's a big show, there's a big celebration. We've all seen it, we've all heard it. It's extremely uh, familiar to all of us. We've seen our kids line up with the palm branches and wave them. We've seen our kids sing uh, uh, Hosanna in the highest. We know those things. But what I want you to see today, what I want you to grab today, isn't the palm leaves and it isn't the, the Hosannas. What I want you to see today is that this story is going to show us that we, as Christians, have a king that is unlike any other king who has ever lived. And that's the title of the sermon, a king like no other. There's been a lot of kings in the world, but there's never been a king like Jesus. And we'll see that today in this passage. So let's go ahead and stand together. And I want to read to you the first 11 verses of Matthew 21. And again, I think this will be very familiar to you. As we tell you the story of Jesus, starting in verse 1 of Matthew 21, and the Word of God says, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them. And straightway he will send them. And all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, Thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sinning upon an ass, and the colt, uh, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went, and they did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes. And they set him thereon, and a, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees, and they strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before, and, and, and those that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So let's, let's pray together. And I want to show you today. And I want you to get that. before As you leave, you need to walk out and say, There's been presidents. There's been kings. There's been queens. There's been governors. There's been mayors. But there's never been a king like Jesus. Amen. So let's pray together and we'll study this passage. Father, I pray that this passage today, not, not me, but that your word, by your spirit, would grab our attention today. 
We've seen a lot this past week talking about leaders of nations, presidents. But God, I want to see today our king, who he is and what he came to do. Let that grab our attention today as our attention was fully on what was taking place Wednesday in America. But God, let us get our attention today on what's going on here in Jerusalem in this passage. Show us our king, a king that is like no other. And may we all bow a knee to him today, every one of us, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see him today. By your spirit, open our eyes to see him today. Let our hearts, God, be open to him today. Please tell us the story of Jesus. Write on our heart every word. Tell us the story most precious, the sweetest that we've ever heard. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. On Wednesday, we saw, and I don't know if you guys saw, maybe, maybe not many of you, but I did. I, I sit and watch the inauguration of, I think, the 46th president of the United States of America as we inaugurated Joe Biden to be our next president. And I, I love an inauguration. Uh, I've been watching inaugurations of presidents for as long as I can remember. Every time I sit down with the kids and we watch them and we, we're fascinated by them as we uh, put in a, a new president over our nation. And, and I love all, all that surrounds an inauguration, even if it's a, I mean, whatever president it is, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, I, I love watching it as, as all these people uh, come to Washington, D.C. And there's, there's all this, all the high-ranking officials are gathering around. I mean, you can see all the ex-presidents that are there, all the, all the judges, all the senators, all the, all the congressmen are, are gathered around. I mean, this is a, a who's who of, of anybody in America is gathered there on that stage. And then usually in a season that's not COVID, you, you're going to have crowds upon crowds upon crowds of people filling that mall in Washington as, as they all gather around to, to see a new president sworn into office. And they sit there and, 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 and there's music and there's a band that plays and there's a, an oath that is given. And then after it's over, the new president and his wife and his family all get into a limousine and they drive from the Capitol to the White House. And that last little bit, as they're, as they're coming up on the White House, usually the president and his wife get out of the car and they go walking that last little bit to the White House. And there's crowds that gather on the sides. And I know you guys are so excited about this. You know, There's crowds usually three, four, five deep on both sides as they, as they shout and they scream and they wave. And there's so much excitement. It's a big deal. And we're in America. We have presidents, not kings. But I'll tell you this. What we do for an inauguration is nothing compared to what other countries do for a coronation. I looked some of that up this week. You guys know I'm fascinated with, with kings and queens, but they go even bigger. Let me give you one more example and we'll move on. In 1838, I read this week, Queen Victoria had her coronation, and it's much the same, but it's not limousines, and it's not, it's not, uh, in, in America, they have a horse-drawn carriage, and they have military, and it, it's just all these things, robes and music and crowds. In 1838, Queen Victoria, she had, at her coronation, had a crown that had rubies and sapphires and, and pearls and, and 309 carat diamonds. And she carried a scepter that had an 816 carat diamond on it. And they do this, and America does this, to show the greatness of their leaders. They do it to, to make people look at these leaders and go, wow, 
That's who's leading our nation. That's who's over our country. They want you to be in awe. They want you to be fascinated. They want you to see, to be impressed. They want you to see the glory of your leader and be, and, and bow down and say, we're going to do whatever they say. And that's what the world does for their earthly kings. But I want you to know today that we have a king that is so far above any earthly king. We have a king named Jesus, and he is he's a king of, of, of not, not just of Jerusalem or of Israel. He's a king of the world, of the universe. He's not just a king of the church. He's a, he's a king of all. The Bible says, and I love this, Jesus is the one true king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one that will reign forever and ever, and nobody will ever vote him out. He's the one that sits on his throne today, will sit on his throne tomorrow, will sit on his throne throughout all eternity, and nobody can take Jesus off his throne. Jesus is the one all other kings will bow down to one day. And the whole point of the Gospel of Matthew is to show you that Jesus is king. Matthew's writing this, so you'll say, Wow, what a king. I mean, I don't have time to go through it. I mean, we could go back to Matthew 1. I could just take you all the way through it. I mean, you don't have to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David. He's a child of the kings. And then in, in Matthew 2, as, as the, the wise men come to, to give him gifts, they give gifts saying, where is he that is born king? Gifts that are due to a, a king. So over and over and over, you're going to see in Matthew, he's, he's showing us that Jesus is our, our king. And not just our king, and again, he's a king of the universe. And we're to see him and be in awe of him and, and be impressed with him and say, wow, what a king. So that every single one of us will bow the knee to this king. And here we have in this passage, his inauguration. Here we have in this passage, his, his coronation. As he comes walking into Jerusalem all eyes are going to be on him. For the first time ever in his life, there's no more privacy. He's out in the open and he's showing everybody that he is the king. And he's not a king like we would expect. This isn't what the world expects a king to be. He's not coming riding in on a king on a chariot with horses. He comes riding in on a colt. He's not coming to make war with armed forces. He's coming to make peace between God and man. Amen. He's not coming as a conquering warrior. He's coming as a suffering servant. All this to say, he's a king like no other. Amen. There's no king in history that compares to the king that is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one we serve. This is the one we bow down to. This is the one we submit to. This is the one that, that we worship. This is the one that we say we have no king but Christ. So I want you to see that today, that we have a king like no other. And again, I know this is familiar, but I want you to again not see the, the palm leaves and, and the, the waving and, the, and all the, the hosannas. And, and I want you to see Jesus as a king like no other. So let's look at this today. I'm going to break it down. And usually we do three. I'm going to do four today. I'm going to give you four points. And we're going to work our way through this passage. I, had, I told Brandon, I added a fourth point at about 11.30 last night. And it's the first point. So I want you to see this. Number one, I want you to see the king's people. The king's people. Because I was reading it again last night. And, and I came across one word. And I, I couldn't get past that one word. Because it says in verse 1, it says, and when they. So I want to stop right there. I just want to, I started looking at that. And I said, well, does that mean anything? Who, who, who is they? 
I mean, you, could, you could assume that's the disciples and, and that would be fine. But I think there's more that's coming into, into Jerusalem with him. I don't think it's just the twelve. I don't think as they're walking down through there, it's just Jesus and the twelve disciples. I think this whole passage is talking about crowds that, that surround him. So when I got today, I said, who's with Jesus there? Who are the people that are, that are with Jesus as he's walking those final two miles into Jerusalem? Who is with Jesus? And, and, and you look back. And you know the twelve disciples are with him because he's getting ready to send two to go get a donkey. But you go back last week and you had a wee little man that got saved. And after the wee little man got saved, he became a follower of Jesus. Do you think the wee little man, Zacchaeus, stayed back home? Or do you think the wee little man said, I want to follow Jesus into Jerusalem? You think his wee little legs follow, follow Jesus as he's walking into Jerusalem? This old tax collector who is the worst person in the world has now been saved. And I think he's on the, 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 at the, at the, following Jesus on every footstep. So there's, I think Zacchaeus is there. And then you go back another week and you find these two blind beggars that cried out to the son of David. And it says there, you can look at it. I want you to see this. This isn't me making this up. Verse 34, it's the the last verse. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. They were healed and they followed him. So yeah, you have a wee little man and now blind Bartimaeus and his buddy are following Jesus. And then in verse verse 1 of chapter 21, it says that they're in Bethphage. You know what's in Bethphage and, and Bethany? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I think they're in the crowd with Jesus. So just, just, just looking at it, and you can go even back even more, because I, I think the journey started even more, even further back. So I, I think there's even more people that are, that are following Jesus into Jerusalem. I think you got Zacchaeus. I think you might have some kids. I, I think, because he said, let the kids come, and they started following him. I think the, the disciples' mothers are there with them. I, I think you got the, the two blind beggars. I think Lazarus, the guy who used to be dead, and now he's walking into Jerusalem with Jesus. And watch this. You can turn there with me. I want you guys that may be sitting there thinking, where, where in the world is he going with this? Luke 19. Same story, different gospel. Luke 19, verse 37. It says, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, and it's not talking about the twelve. These are just followers. The whole multitude of, of followers began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. You know who I think's with him? I think there's some demoniacs that he'd healed. I think there's some blind people that now see. I think there's some dead people <laughs> that are now alive and they're walking into Jerusalem with him. I think that there's some deaf people that now heal, that are now here. I think there's lowly Galileans that are walking into Jerusalem with Jesus. I don't think he's coming in with the, the rich. I think he's coming in with the, the poor. I don't think he's coming in with the noble. I think he's coming in with the foolish. These are the people of Jesus. Jesus is a king of the people. I think that's great. He's not walking in with an army. Soldiers and military with weapons and swords drawn. He's not making people pay a thousand dollars a ticket to be there. It's not all these dignitaries. It's not ex-presidents and judges and, and, and congressmen and, and senators. It's peasants and penniless men. That's who's coming in with him. It's ordinary, everyday people that are gathered around Jesus walking to Jerusalem. 
So that when they look at him, they say, he's not coming in with an army of people with weapons. He's got little, lowly, ordinary, everyday people. So that the crowd looks and says, there's old Lazarus. He used to be dead and he's walking in now. There's wee little man Zacchaeus. Didn't he used to be a tax collector and now he's, he's walking with Jesus? There's two blind beggars. Now they see their eyes are wide open. They're looking at things they've never seen before. All around was people that Jesus had come in contact with and done great works. When I saw that last night, I thought to myself, isn't that what we are every single Sunday in church? Amen. You say, Josh, you're calling us peasants and penniless men? We're all just simple, ordinary people that Jesus has touched and we've gathered to praise him. I, I like that. We're not militants. Jesus said, my, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, we'd have an army and we'd fight. But that's not who we are. We're just, we're just lowly people that Jesus has lifted up and saved. Looking around the room today, we could just name names of people. Oh, there's such and such. What, he, didn't he used to be this way? And now he's that way? And, and, and just going around the room, who knows who's here today that Jesus has touched and saved? I'm just an ordinary man that Jesus happened to save. And I'm just following right along with him. So that's the king's people. Jesus is a king for an unlikely people. So there's point one. Let me show you the second point. The king's plan. As we get into the passage, you say, Josh, you better hurry. You've got 11 verses to cover. <laughs> and you got today. And when they drew nigh to Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage under the Mount of Olives, here comes the plan. Then, then sent Jesus two disciples. He picks two disciples, and I'm pretty sure they're not fighting over who's going to get this job. No, I'm pretty sure he's not asking for volunteers as he looks at the twelve and says, Hey guys, I'm going to need somebody to go get a, a couple donkeys for me. Some people say it was Peter and John. We don't know who it is, but he sends them out uh, to, to go get these two, two donkeys. And it's probably a, a two-mile walk to a village that they have to go. So he says, saying to them, go to the village over against you, and straightway you'll find an ass tied. And not just a, the, the ass, but a, a colt with her. So you're looking at a, at a mother and, and, a, and a baby. And it says, you're going to go find them. As soon as you get in the town, you're going to find them tied up. A baby that has never been ridden before. So you're going to go to a village, you're going to steal a donkey. That, that, I'm not saying he stole the donkey, but... If walking into town, he's like, okay, I'm just going to untie this donkey. I'm going to take it with me. And Jesus said, well, if somebody has any questions about it, you tell them. The Lord wants them. And they're going to let you take them. That's how popular Jesus was. All he had to do was say, the Lord wants them. And they're like, okay, you can have them. So he's going to ride into town on a donkey. Not on a stallion. Not on a chariot. Not in a limousine. Can you imagine if you turned the TV on on Wednesday and you saw riding down Pennsylvania Avenue was Joe Biden and his wife on a donkey? I wrote right here on my notes, no jokes here. <laughs> because he's of the donkey party. Uh, or a Republican riding in on an elephant. Whatever you want to do with that. 
But could you have imagined that? You would think that that's unfitting for a president, is it not? He, he needs a limo with glass about that thick and, and guards all, the, all around him with these earpieces and these guns and, and they're protecting him and they're watching him. He needs the biggest and the best. But our king comes, comes riding in on a donkey. The sovereign king of the universe to show how humble and meek he is. Not on a royal chariot with horses. Not this time but on a borrowed donkey that he'll bring back after he's done with it. It's not even his. He's coming in not to overthrow Rome. He's coming in to be killed. The greatest characteristic of Jesus in the Gospels is his meekness and humility. And this goes back to what it means to be great. I don't have time to get into it, but we've been studying this. What does it mean to be great? It's not that you are at the top, the highest. It's those who humble themselves to the lowest. And Jesus almost titled this sermon the greatest king ever. Because he's showing himself by his humility just how great he is. And then they do it. Watch what it says. No questions asked. <laughs> the disciples just get, get up and go. And so it says in verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. And everything, and I'm sure they're sitting there trying to remember what he said to, said to do. Go, go to this place, find this donkey, get, let them loose, tell them the Lord wants them. And they go and it's exactly as he said. The donkeys are exactly where they said they'd be. They're tied up. The guy asks, he said, who, who, who's, who, what are you doing taking my donkey? Well, the Lord wants them. Okay, you can have them. So everything went exactly as Jesus said for it to go. I mean, it's, it's, it's identical. He, he, and you say, how did he know that? Did he plan it beforehand? Did he come in there at some other time and say, I'm going to need your donkeys. I'll have a guy come. They're going to say, password is, the Lord needs them. Or did he plan this from before the foundation of the world? That's what's going on there. Jesus knows everything. And it, it tells us that's, the, that's what happened there. Because look what it says in verse 4. And all this was done. That it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, your king's going to come, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt the foal of an ass. This was prophesied 500 years before it even happened. But this is exactly, and I, I want to I stick on this point, this is exactly how it's going to go 500 years before it even happened. And Jesus here, as he enters into Jerusalem, and I could add this, because there's a passage in Daniel that seems to, to, to say that not only does it come in 500 years before it happened, that, that it was predicted and it was prophet, prophesied and it was exact, but in, in Daniel it seems to say that it's not just 500 years later it's going to happen, but it's to the second of when it's supposed to happen. I, I looked it up this week, and, and from, the Dan, from the prophecy in Daniel, 173,880 days. Amen. And he comes riding into Jerusalem exactly when he's supposed to. Amen. So he enters Jerusalem with pinpoint accuracy. The exact time he's supposed to go, the exact place he's supposed to go, the exact animal that he's supposed to ride on. Everything happening exactly according to plan. This is the king's plan. And I, and I want you to see this. We need to get this as we move into the rest of the week because nothing in this final week will be out of control. Nothing in this final week will be out of his hands. 
Jesus isn't a victim of circumstance or of chance. He's not caught up in the moment. He's controlling the moments. Everything in the final week is controlled and prophesied and planned by God before the foundations of the world. And he's just following according to schedule. I mean, he's not at the whims of the high priest or the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees. Everything happens exactly as Jesus wants it to happen. Even to, the, to where a donkey is going to be sitting. Where it's going to be tied up. Who's going to go get it. And how he's going to ride in. Everything is happening by God's schedule. He knows what's going to happen. And I like this. You say, well, what does this mean for us? I don't think it's just the final week that's under control. I think every second of every day is completely under control and in the hands of our king. I don't think there's anything that is chaotic. I don't think there's anything up to circumstance or up to chance. I don't think we're, we're just blowing with the wind of, of, of life. I don't, I don't think COVID was, was out, outside the plan of God. I, I don't think that, that the chaos of our political system was outside the, the plan of God. I think it's all working according to the plan of God. And we don't see it now. But everything is happening according to the schedule of God. That's good for us. To know that our life isn't out of control. It may look right now like my life is out of control. Or your life is out of control. Or America is out of control. But nothing in heaven in the hands of our king is out of his control. Down to the details of where you tie up your donkey. You say, I don't have a donkey. We've got a dog. Down to the very details of life. It is all planned according to God. God designed every last detail. And every bit of it is on schedule. There's no other king like Christ. Get this, and and I've got to keep applying it. What other king comes in? let's, let's, Let's talk about our presidents. They come into office with plans, don't they? I mean, they, 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 they campaign on, I'm going to do this, and 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 then they spend four years of presidency, and they've not done much of any of that. And you ask them why. They start campaigning again. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and, and why didn't you do that? Well, there was some unforeseen things that happened that was out of my control and out of my hands, So we couldn't get to this. We had to focus on this. There will never be a time in heaven where Jesus will say, I couldn't get to this because this happened and I didn't see it coming. Everything happens according to His plan. And I'm talking about just on in America. We can look at our own lives and my life. You may not see it. You may not understand it. The full picture may not come into play. But everything is happening according to the plan of God. Everything. This is the the type of thing that helps us lay our head at night upon our pillows and say everything's working itself out according to God's plan. He's in control. Our king is in control. There's no king like Christ. So let's move on. I want to show you point number three. We're making good time. The Puritans used to... (laughs) I read this this week. 
Before they had clocks, or, or I don't think the Puritans had Apple watches. They would use an hourglass. And the preacher had it up there with him. And he'd start it when he got up to preach. And he wouldn't stop until the hourglass of sand went all the way to the bottom. And everybody, <laughs> can you imagine if I did that? Y'all just be watching that sand. Point number one. Point number two. But they said that the Puritans, when, he'd get, when, the, when the sand would run out, that the people in the, in the church would start saying, Turn it over! Turn it over! Go again! Amen. He'd turn it over and they'd go again. Don't get me an hourglass. <laughs> like sands through the hourglass. <laughs> what are y'all laughing at? Does that, does that mean something? <laughs> I have no idea. Number three. We've seen the king's people. We've seen the king's plan. I want to show you the king's praise. It says in verse 7 that they, we, 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 we've read, the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. And in verse 7, they brought the ass and the colt. They went and did exactly as they were told. And when they bring it to Jesus, they brought the ass and the colt and they put their clothes on. And Jesus didn't even have a saddle. You want to talk about humble? He's not, not, not just riding a, a, a steed. Or a chariot, he's riding a donkey that's never been ridden before, a little baby colt, and, and, and nobody's ever been on it before. They, they don't have a saddle to put on it. So like, I'll just take off my jacket and we'll put that on it. And you take off your jacket and you put that on it. We're going to make him a saddle so he doesn't have to sit right on top of it. And then it says, and they take Jesus. And I don't know if this is what it means, but it says they take Jesus and they put him on it. They lifted Jesus up and put him on the donkey. It, it says that. They brought the ass and the colt and they put on them their clothes. And then they, they set him on it. And then he begins his ride into Jerusalem. And he didn't need a ride. He walked everywhere he went. And now he's riding the last two miles on a donkey towards Jerusalem. He's entered Jerusalem before, but never like this. And he'll enter again, but it won't be like this. And it says in verse 8, as he goes, and I want you to picture this with me. They set him on, verse 8, in a very, when it says very great multitude, you can just go ahead and put in there huge crowd. And then you go down to verse 9, and it says, and multitudes spread their garments in the way. And then in verse 9 it says, and multitudes went before, and multitudes were behind. So you're sitting there looking at a, at a great crowd, multitudes in front, multitudes behind, multitudes around, multitudes everywhere. This is a humongous mob of people that are all around Jesus as he's riding into Jerusalem. You say, how many people? <laughs> Commentaries say as many as two million people were gathered there. Two million. That's bigger than any inauguration has ever had. Two million people pressed in on Jesus as he's riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. Can you imagine that scene? And as he's riding in, I mean, this is, this is amazing. As he's riding, look what they do. They start taking off their jackets. And they're making him a red carpet. There was a red, red carpet for the inauguration on Wednesday. Jesus didn't have a red carpet. You want to talk about humble? Peasants start taking off their dirty and torn, ripped up jackets and laying them on the ground for Jesus to ride in on. 
And not only that, they start taking branches off trees and they start waving them. I want you, and this is, this is so good. They're laying their jackets down as an act of submission. As they're saying, you can walk over us. This is, this is worship here. This is praise. You can walk over us. And then they take these, these palm leaves and these are big palm leaves and they're waving them down. It's almost like an act of worship like this. And they take those palm leaves and they lay them on the ground and they let him ride on those. This is them saying, you're, you're above us and, and we're below Below you, you're the king, and, and we're the servants. They're worshiping at the feet of their savior. Two million people are bowing down to Jesus. What a scene! And then they start crying out. This is worship. This is what it is. I'm giving you my jacket. I'm bowing down in worship, and then I start singing. But it doesn't say they sing; it says they cry. Look at it. And multitudes went before and, and that followed, cried. And, and you can draw a line from verse 9, cry, over to verse 30 in chapter 20. Same word of these blind men crying out. It's loud. Word used for women in labor. Women in labor don't whisper. I don't know if you, I've got five kids, I know. Women in labor cry loud. So you've got two million people crying like that. Screaming. This is a roar. Can you imagine that? If you've ever been in a crowd of, of, of 10,000 or of 20,000 or of 30,000 and they all start crying out and, and screaming at the same time, there's a roar that, ro that goes over the crowd. Can you imagine two million people roaring out, crying out towards Jesus as they lay their clothes down the road and they're, they're bowing down in submission and they start crying out to Jesus. There's excitement. There's celebration. There's smiles. There's kids and they're all bowing down and crying out to Jesus and what are they saying I mean I think this is a worship song and it's not a lot it's not like the worship songs we hear today this song here is deep and biblical and the theological they cry out look what they say they cried saying this is what a scene I mean when I when I read this I want to picture it in my mind Jesus on his donkey, crowds pressing in. He's got a two-mile ride into Jerusalem and the crowds are just bowing down and they're, they're crying out and, and, and all those voices are saying the same thing. Hosanna. Save now. That's what that means. Save now! Son of David. Our King. That's what the Son of David is. That's, that's our King. Save now, our King. Save now, our King. Save now, our King. And it's just a chant over and over and over. My kids love to, to chant when they want something. I tell them, chanting doesn't work. We'll drive, well, Wednesday nights, we'll drive home and we have to pass McDonald's. And my kids, Hallie hasn't learned it yet, but she will. We want McDonald's. We want McDonald's. <laughs> That's what they do. We put a rule in our car. Chance don't work. It usually does. <laughs> but their chant is, Save now, King. Save now, King. Save now, King. Save now, King. Millions upon millions of people. Save now, King. Save now, King. 
crying out, save us now. And they say, blessed be the he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Save now in the highest. Save now, King. Save now, King. What a scene. What a picture of praise. I don't want to apply this, but this is a picture of worship. As people acknowledge who their king is, they bow down before him and they sing to him. Everyone in agreement that Jesus is a king like no other. I know it's not millions here today. It would be nice if it was. But when we sing this morning, it ought to be every single one of us with our hearts in tune and our voices as one singing under the king like no other. That's what we do here today. You look, people looking at that saying, huh, how foolish is that? A bunch of pe- penniless peasants gathering together to worship at the feet of a man riding in on a donkey. How foolish that is. What do you think they say about us on Sundays? When the government tries to shut you down for a year, you don't need that. That's not essential. But when we gather and with one heart and one voice, we all gather to worship and sing a, a crucified king. Victory in Jesus. That's what we do. We bow down and we sing. We bow down and we sing. That's the praise of the King. Last point, and I'll I'll close. We're doing pretty good on time. The hourglass hasn't went out yet. We've seen the King's people. We've seen the King's plan. We've seen the King's praise. And and I'll, I'll say this: no other King. Gets praise like this. What other king can you can you even think of that the, that thousands two thousand years later they still gather every single Sunday to praise their king? Amen. I mean, you you may sing the praises of your politician once every four years, but we do it every week. We gather to praise our king every single Sunday. This is our king. No king but Christ. And we bow down in submission to Him. Last point. King's people. King's plan. King's praise. I want you to see the King's problem. Because there's something here that, that, that ain't right. Verse 10. It says that when He was coming to Jerusalem, so he, 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 gets, he enters in. And He enters into the east gate. That's significant. And it says in the, the, the crowd, you see that when he's coming to Jerusalem, all the city. And it says all the city. Every bit, everybody there. And, and that's, that's talking about not just the people that are gathered in the crowd. Not just Zacchaeus and, and not just the, the two blind beggars and, and not just Lazarus. That, that I, I still think that as, as people see him, they think, oh my goodness, that guy used to be dead. And Mary and Martha, that, that's not it's just them. They're now in the city and, and all the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the, and the Romans inside the city, they're all trying to figure this out. They're hearing the noise that come from outside the gates. They're hearing, save now King! Save now King! And they, it says they're moved. You see that? The whole city was moved. This is inside the gates. He's now in the city. And they're moved. This, this means they were shaken. It's, it's, a, it's a word that they used for an earthquake. They, 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 were, they were nervous about it. What's going on here? Is there an army coming to take over? 
All they hear is outside again. Save now, king. So they say, look what they say. Here's the problem. They look and they say, who is that? Who is this guy? This is, what's going on here? Is it a military leader coming to destroy us? Who is this guy? They're confused. Again, it's a two million people all crying to the king, all asking to be saved. And this saved now is a military political cry. Deliver us from Rome. Deliver us from Rome. Go to your throne. That's the cry. Israel always is crying. We want a conquering Savior. Triumphant. Take your throne. And, and Peter and John are saying, I want to be on the right and, and on the left. And they look and they see <laughs> a man on a donkey. <laughs> Who is this guy? Are you with me? The confusion that they have there? This, this doesn't look right. This isn't a king like we would ever expect. He's a man on a donkey. He don't have any weapons. He has no army. He has no horses. There's no trumpets. There's no warriors. It's just a crowd singing. What is going on here? Instead of weapons, they've got palm leaves. Instead of uniforms with regalia all over them, they've got robes. Who is this guy? And that's still the question of the day. That the world, as we gather, and we sing, and we preach, and I stand up here and we tell you the story of Jesus. The world looks and they say, who is this guy that they sing about? Who is this guy that they preach? Who is this guy that they submit to? Who is this guy that they worship? Who is this guy that they give part of their hard-earned money to the, the work of his church? Who is this guy? And why is he so important to them? You can't get that wrong. I can stop right there and say, who do you say he is? Jesus asked Peter that. Who do men say that I am? Peter said, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're Elijah. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Who do you say I am? It's the most important question that's ever been asked. So what's the answer? Here's where the confusion is. And the multitude said, I don't think they understood just yet. Save now king wasn't save us spiritually. It was save us politically. Because they say, and look, look what they say. The crowd says, who is this guy? Huh? And the answer is, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. You say, well, that's the right answer. It is. That, that's, that's the right answer. But let me, let me ask you this. And, and it is. That he is Jesus. He is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's, that's who he is. We get that. But I don't think that's enough. If you're in a crowd, and I hate to keep going back to the inauguration, but if we were in a crowd at the inauguration on Wednesday, and we see the president riding down the road with his wife in this big parade going towards the White House, and somebody pokes you and says, who is that guy? You don't say, well, that's just Joe from Scranton. That's right. Or, or if you're in England and, and you see the, the Queen of England in her, in her chariot riding down London. 
Somebody says, who's that woman? Well, that's just Elizabeth. She's from London. She's from Edinburgh. You know, Elizabeth. You're leaving something out. You're missing something here. And that's, that's what they're saying. Oh, that's just Jesus. That guy from Nazareth that everybody's talking about. He's just an old prophet. He's just an old preacher. He's just an old teacher. He's just an old example. He's just a model for us to live by. That's what the world says about Jesus. That's just old Jesus. That's not enough. The Muslims say, oh, he's just a prophet. He's just this and he's just that. I mean, that's what the world says today. Oh, he's just a good example for us to follow. He's so much more than that. We hear it all the time. Good things about Jesus, but aren't good enough. That won't get you into the gates of heaven when you stand before God on the last day. That is the reason that they're going to cry crucify in six days. They don't really get who He is. There's a lot of people with a lot of good opinions about Jesus, but it ain't enough. They sing songs about Jesus, it ain't enough. They say some good things about Jesus, it ain't enough. They know about Jesus, but they haven't bowed the knee to Jesus. You say, what is the answer? Passage ends there. The answer is, he's the sovereign king of the universe. The answer is what 1 Timothy 6 says, he's the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's the answer. That's what they should have said. But here, he's not coming as a conqueror, he's coming as a savior. They don't get that. He's not come to sit down on a throne, he's come to lay down his life for his people. That's what they don't get. He's the king, not the king they wanted, but he's the king that every one of us needed. And in a few days, those chants will change, won't they? It's going to go from save now king, save now king, to crucify him, crucify him. So we will not have him be king over us. He'll be crucified and we will see it. And he'll wear a crown of thorns. He'll be crucified and they'll give him a rod and a purple robe. He'll be crucified and they'll put a sign above his head on the cross that says, here is the king of the Jews. They'll mock him. They'll hit him. They'll make fun of him. And he will lay down his life a ransom for many. He will be buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he will rise again. Not just a crucified Savior, but a conquering Savior. And then he will ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 2. And when he ascends into heaven, you want to talk about a coronation. There was, there was a coronation. As the angels gathered around and said, there's our king. Our king has arrived. Our king is successful. Our king is a conquering Savior. And he sat down on his throne. And there he sits even today, ruling and reigning over the universe. As king over all. And get this. He's going to come again. I'll say this, there's three coronations that take place 
This one was a humble coronation. Then when he uh, ascended into heaven, there was a heavenly coronation. And when he comes back, he'll get an earthly coronation that is fitting to the king that he is. You say, where's that at? He'll land on the Mount of Olives, exactly where this is, and he'll enter in into the east gate, just like he did, but he won't be riding in on a donkey. I want you to turn there. I've got a few minutes. Turn with me to Revelation 19. You, you need to see this. I almost just preached this passage to this week. But you have to see the crucified Savior before you can see the conquering Savior. Aren't you glad? I'll, I'll, I'm going to say this now. Aren't you glad that he didn't come in and conquer in Matthew 21? Because if he had, if none of us would have been saved. He came in to die, and he's coming back to take over. Look what it says in Revelation 19. <laughs> I love this one. This is the end. This is when he comes back. He's coming back to rule and reign over the earth. From David's throne in Jerusalem. Revelation 19. Verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, not a donkey, but a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. He said he's coming back, and he's coming back. And right now people doubt, and they mock, and they scoff. Where is your Savior? Oh, he's coming. And he said upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He came the first time to make peace between God and man. He comes back again to make war with those who are unbelievers. His eyes were of a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name was called the, the Word of God. And verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. That's how it's supposed to look. Clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. That with it he should smite the nations. He should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written that is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes. <laughs> that sounds more like it, don't it? That's the conquering Savior that we're looking forward to. We look back on a crucified Savior that saves us. That went to a cross to die for our sins. That rode in on a donkey that had clothes on it and had palm leaves on the ground with peasants and, and penniless men as his subjects with Lazarus and Zacchaeus and, and the blind beggars. And, and that, that's who's with him. That's his army on, on that day when he, when he, when he rode into to Jerusalem to, to die on a cross for our sins. That's where we look back to. That's where our salvation was accomplished. That's where it was paid for. That's where Jesus paid it all. But he's coming again. And that's what we look forward to. Get this, and I don't want to mean be political, but I'm going to be political. Joe Biden isn't the answer. Nobody said amen. Donald Trump wasn't the answer. And in four years, if Jesus doesn't come back, whoever the next one is won't be the answer. 
We don't look to a political figure or a royal figure as our Savior. None of these people will make things right. But we have one coming. A king that is unlike any other. Who's going to come back and make everything right. And I'm glad that he waited. I'm glad he wasn't a conquering king in Matthew 21. Because that would have meant nobody saved. I'm glad he wasn't a conquering king before I got saved. If he'd have come back before then, I, I, would have, I wouldn't have been saved. I'm glad that he's not a conquering king yet. Because that gives everybody who's an unbeliever an opportunity to be saved. But when he comes back, there are no more chances. But right now, in this time, he's showing great patience. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering. To usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, why hasn't he come back yet? Why hasn't he made things right yet? Why hasn't he fixed things yet? Why hasn't he come to rule and reign yet? Why, why, why? Because our God is a long-suffering God, and he wants to give us all an opportunity to get right with him before he comes back. So between his ascension and his coronation, he gives everybody a chance to get right with him. And you better get right because you want to meet him as Savior and not as judge. So I want you to examine where you're at right now. And the question is, have you bowed the knee to the king who is unlike any other? That's the question. People say a lot of things. Just like this crowd said a lot of things. But have you bowed the knee? Because one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So you must today and now bow the knee to Him and confess Him as your King and as your Lord if you want to be saved. If you haven't done that, if, you're just, if it's just lip service that you're saying, yeah, he's, he's, my, he's my Lord, yeah, yeah, I, I, I follow Him, but you haven't bowed the knee and submitted your life to Him, then you're not, you're not saved. I hope you see this King today. And you say, yes, I want to bow the knee to Him. I want Him to be my King and my Lord. Do it today before it's too late. And for us here today that are Christians, I want you to say with me, <laughs> I, I do, I want you as we pray to say, I have no king but Christ. And he is a king that is unlike any other. I want you to be in awe of him. I want you to be impressed by him. There's no king like Christ. And that's who we follow. That's who we listen to. That's my king. Is he your king today? If he's not, I urge you today to pray and say, God, please be my Savior and my Lord. And he will. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. A great passage. Uh, we've preached it many times, even from this pulpit. We've heard it.
We've sang the hosannas. We, we know it inside and out. There's nothing here that we learn today. But my prayer has been that Jesus, our King, would grab our attention so that we would say, yes, that's my King. That's who I follow. That's who I listen to. That's who I, I love. So may all of us today that are Christians be reaffirmed in that. Jesus is our King. And God, for those here today, and there, there's probably some here who are unbelievers. There could be kids here that are unbelievers. There could be adults here that are unbelievers. They've never truly bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that today they would see the greatness and the grandeur and the beauty and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would say, I want him as my king. Knowing that he went to a cross to die for them. That he is the son of God, the savior of men, and the sovereign of the universe. May they cry out today, save me now. Save me now. Save me now. May that be the cry of an unbeliever's heart in this room today. So simple for a kid, save me now. So simple for an adult, save me now. For anybody who would call upon the name of the Lord, save me now. May they find today that they have a king like no other. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.